welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Welcome, my name is Matt and I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Matt. And your leader for this meeting. Please join me in the uh, serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind. Be done. All right. Um, I guess I'll start. Uh, like I said, my name is Matt. I am a sexaholic. Do you have a home group? I even have a sponsor. And um, it's in Oakland, California. Remember the happy, joyous, and free group? And uh, we take that seriously. And uh, anyhow... Um, I got sober in Southern California, and uh, I didn't have a sponsor, so uh, I guess I'm really good at this topic, because I never had one for the first 17 months of sobriety. I was physically dry for a long time, and uh, lust really kicked my butt in the submission as far as sponsorship goes, and I don't know whether SA was different at the time, or whether it was just my unwillingness to even venture outside of my little home in Simi Valley. We had one meeting a week in Simi Valley. It was on a Thursday night. About five or six of us, sometimes three, would get together and we'd go and talk about our week. We didn't have any idea about sponsorship or working the steps or anything like that. And um, we just went and we went through our week. Some guy would start off with Thursday and he'd continue on until he got to Wednesday again. And uh, then the next guy would go around. And our meeting lasted an hour and a half. And as you can tell, this is called living in the solution. Um, actually, it was really bad. We used to call them boiled shrimp meetings because everybody would stand around and stare at their navel and um, sit in their chair, I guess. But uh, I got physically dry in August of 1991, just miserable. And I had acted out for the last time and uh stared at the mirror myself, and I really got a good look at it, and I said, I just can't go on. And I asked God to keep me sober, and that was the first time that I'd ever really asked God, uh, with a humble heart, I don't know, desperate, I think, more like it. And uh I got physically sober, and I stayed dry for a long time. There was a guy in our home group, uh Smiling Mike, who was getting sober. I mean, he was getting sober. And he was having a good time, and that scared me all the more. And uh, he asked me if I would come to hear his first step out of the North Hollywood Friday night meeting. And he told my story. He was going out with some gal, and he ended up acting out with her. And the only difference between me and him was is I was maybe a few weeks behind him. And I found the youngest guy I could find in that meeting. And he looked to be about my age. I was 21 at the time. I could find the youngest guy I thought I could relate to because I was interested in sober dating. And I was wondering if he had any experience with this. And 
I was pretty depressed as well. I didn't start work till 1 o'clock. Actually, I started work at 9, but I actually didn't work until 1. And uh, so I was really depressed and dry. And if you've ever been that way or are that way now, it's miserable. Do not recommend it. I asked this guy to be my sponsor the following meeting. The previous meeting, he told me that I was about to slip, and I thought that was kind of inappropriate and not very loving. And I asked him, what do I do? He wasn't sober as long as I was, but he knew how to work the steps. And I was desperate. Maybe that's all my story about sponsorship, is I'm desperate. And I've been desperate for a long time. And he helped me work the steps. I called him every day, and I worked the steps as fast as I could. I got a sponsee a couple months later, and this guy, he embarrassed me enough to work the rest of the steps. You know, he was getting to step eight, and I was only on nine. And I called my sponsor, and I said, don't you lose your sponsees if they pass you up in the steps? And he said, well, you better go ahead and do the rest of them. So I went ahead and did the rest of the steps. And that's how I worked the sponsorship deal. He knew the big book, and I didn't, and so I studied it furiously and um, that's what we did and I did that for a couple of years until he left the program then I found another one and I studied the traditions because that very sponsor said listen you know the steps get you sober but the traditions keep you here and that was the one thing that made him leave the program is he just forgot the traditions my current sponsor I don't know he's a really wonderful guy and he works the steps, and he works the traditions. And his solution to me all the time is, who's the new guy you're working with? Who's the new guy you're working with? If I've got a problem, he asks me that one question, who's the new guy you're working with? Jeez, it's kind of hard to answer that question if you don't have a new guy. So I go to a lot of meetings, and I work the steps a lot with a lot of guys. You don't have to work them well, you just have to work them. In fact, my grand sponsor says you can do these steps poorly, but you got to do them. And so I guess the other thing about sponsorship is is that I try to show the guys that the steps actually work in your life, not just on Wednesday meeting, before the meeting and afterwards. They actually work in my in my relationship with my wife, uh, in my relationship with my family and my coworkers and things like that. And I study the book a lot still. And uh, I like to talk to newcomers a lot, ask them as many questions. I read Chapter 7 regularly in the big book because that tells you how to sponsor somebody. Also, so does the family afterward and to wives and then the final vision for you. I really study those to figure out how just to work with other guys, how to hear their fifth step. And I do what my sponsor does. You know, they get a new guy and they go to a meeting. Not very intelligent, um, not very uh, spiritually oriented, but probably more desperate than I'd like to believe. And that's the way my sobriety goes. I'm still desperate for sobriety. I'm desperate for a recovery from sexaholism. And um, not all that smart, though sometimes I'd like to think I am. And, you know, I'd like to also take credit for my sobriety and my recovery. But most of the time, it's just God working in my life. And there's always a new guy to help. A few years ago, I moved up from Southern California to Oakland. And I was impressed that there were guys sitting in the meeting dying. And nobody was helping these guys. 
They'd all just go ahead and go their separate ways. And these guys would, you know, they'd have long-term sobriety and slip. Nobody would come up to them and say, hey, what happened? They'd all just kind of go, all right, see you next week. And nobody would say anything. And I said, what about this guy? Here he had 10 years of sobriety and he just slipped. Isn't anybody going to talk to him? No, no. He just kind of goes on his own way. And I need that very type of thing, that kind of accountability for someone to ask me, how's it going? What's going on in my life? And am I working the steps? You know, that type of thing. So that's the other reason I have a sponsor, to work the steps and to be accountable to somebody um, rather than just keeping it on my own. Because I'd much rather just not say anything and, you know, look really good at the meeting or, you know, act like things are going well or the more stuff I get, the longer you stay sober, you know, obviously means you're doing so well. But it really doesn't. And, boy, not much else. I don't think sponsorship is all that complicated. But I'd sure like to make it that way. And I'd like to figure out medication problems. I'd like to figure those things out. But I'm not really equipped to handle that. All I know is the steps. And maybe I'm kind of uh, repetitive. You know, some of the guys I work with say that I always talk about the steps. Well, maybe that's all I know. You know, and maybe I just know how to work the steps and live a sober life. I don't know. Works for me. I like the promises that I enjoy as a result of staying sober. So, I think that's about it. My name's Patrick. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Patrick. I'm very grateful to know that I'm a sexaholic today and to know that there's a solution in the 12 steps of Sexaholics Anonymous. And I'm very grateful for the concept of sponsorship in SA. Um, if I had come into my first SA meeting and they told me there was a solution and it was in the white book and they just gave me the white book and said, go read this and do what's in here, I wouldn't be sitting here today, I'm sure. I would either be out there acting out or I'd be dead because there was no way that I on my own could open up that white book and the other books that we talk about in terms of recovery, the big book and the 12 by 12, and read them and understand what I needed to do and had the, you know, the wherewithal to do it. Uh, and so I'm very grateful for the, the notion of sponsorship in SA. I needed someone who had been through these steps before to show me what he had done and explain to me uh what these steps were and encouraged me as I went along. And and I was very grateful when I came into SA to find out that that was the case, that I did not have to work these steps on my own, that it was suggested that I find someone else who had worked these steps and asked that individual to take me through the steps. <clears throat> uh, and it is due to uh, that sponsor's guiding me through those steps and my daily practice to the best of my ability of all 12 of those steps each day that I'm, that I'm sober today. And, and, uh, in terms of, um, sponsoring, uh, myself, that is when I become a sponsor, um, it's also clear to me, uh, based on the recovery, uh, program as it's set forth in these three books of recovery, uh, the white book, the big book, and the 12 by 12, and through my own experience, that working with others is a critical part of my my own recovery. Um, 
It's not just that I need a sponsor to take me through the steps to recover, but I need to be working with other sexaholics if I'm going to maintain the recovery that I receive from that sponsor. Um, in step 11, if you look in the big book, right at the end, like in the last paragraph, it says something like, you've learned something up to this point, you've gained something up to this point, um, but then it says, faith without works is dead. The next chapter is entirely devoted to step 12. And what that says to me is that in going through those first 11 steps with a sponsor, I started to recover from the disease of sexaholism by finding a power greater than myself that could come into my life and help me to recover from this disease. But if I stopped at step 11 after I'd found that higher power and sort of took that recovery and just walked away happily with it and didn't go on to that next step and take what had been given to me and give it to someone else, that paragraph in step 11 tells me that that faith that I have, that conscious contact with a higher power, can start to wither and dwindle. I mean, it can just wither away. Uh, it says that to me when it says faith without works is dead. And this is, you know, this, the spiritual principles in the big book and the 12 by 12 and the white book, these are not new spiritual principles that were invented in the 1930s. These are old, ancient, ancient principles. And there is an ancient spiritual principle that I cannot keep what I have unless I give it away. And uh, I have found that to be true in my own life. There have been periods in my life when I have not been working with other sexaholics. And my spirituality, my sobriety, and my peace of mind is not the same. Uh, it's weaker. I'm not, it's not as easy to overcome lust. I don't have the same peace of mind that I do when I'm actively involved with other sexaholics. Um, and the more I work with, the more peace I have. The, uh, the big book says that intensive work with other addicts is vital to permanent recovery. So that means to me, if I have one sponsee and I see him once a month, you know, when I have time, that's not enough for me to get the kind of recovery that I want out of Sexaholics Anonymous. It's only when I get to that point of intensive work, when I feel like I'm kind of like, I'm having a hard time managing my life between my family and work and spending time with another sexaholic. That's when I think I'm sort of at the right level. If it's real easy and convenient, I don't have the peace of mind. It's kind of a paradox. It's only when I'm having a hard time finding how the heck am I going to get time to work with this guy, knowing that I have to have fine time to work with him. It's only then that I really seem to have any peace of mind. So I've found that that it's, it's vital for my own recovery to be working with someone else. And thank goodness, you know, it's not necessarily... Uh, the case that the people I work with have to stay sober either. You know, that used to be, I used to take that as a lot of pressure, like, oh my God, how can I sponsor people? What if they don't stay sober? Um, and what I found is, thank goodness, that the process of sponsorship, being in that process, keeps me sober whether they stay sober or not. And I finally learned that whether they stay sober or not is really not dependent on anything I do. It's really dependent on their own willingness and a power greater than themselves. So 
I'm not afraid to sponsor people anymore. I know that if they are at that point where they have the willingness and um, they're willing to go through the process, they will recover. It's really not up to me. And I guess that's the other thing that, that I'd like to share about sponsorship, that um, it's not an intimidating or difficult process, at least the way my sponsor showed me. Um, and what he showed me was that there were these books that had the principles for recovery in them. You know, he taught me, you know, thank goodness the principles of recovery in SA are not bound up in some guru, you know, some one or a group of individuals who disperse these principles. Uh, I mean, if all these principles were in one human being, first of all, that human being would have certain faults and maybe he'd die or go away and, you know, then where would these principles be? The nice thing about SA is that the principles of recovery have been written down in these books. And we know that one of our traditions is this is a, a program of principles rather than personalities. So the principles of recovery and sponsorship are written down in these books, the big book, the 12 by 12 and the white book. I remember when I was about time for me to start sponsoring people, I told my sponsor, I said, boy, you know, I really wish there was a, another book on sponsorship. You know, I really wish there was a something that I could read to figure out how to sponsor people. And he just laughed, and he said, there's a whole chapter on sponsorship. It's chapter 7 in the big book. Um, and I like what Matt had to say uh, about these other chapters that also give me information about how to work with others. But there clearly is this one chapter that I can look to and and study to, to learn how to sponsor people. And I'm, I'm just going to share with you how I do it just as my own experience, not as this is the way anyone else should sponsor people because I do it only this way because it's the way my sponsor did it with me. And it's a very simple uh, process. Um, these uh, We take these three books, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 by 12, and the white book. And there's something about each one of these 12 steps in all three of these books. And that's the most important part, as I was taught and as I, I, in my experience, that's the most important learning about the steps. It's what's in those books, not what's in my head, because I'm still a sexaholic. You know, I hope my sponsors don't depend on what's coming out of this head, because I still have the disease of sexaholism. I'm not a I'm not a well person, even though I have some recovery now. So in the big book, the first 43 pages are set aside for the first step. And we agnostics are set aside for the second step. And then the other steps are they even, you know, say this is the third step. This is the fourth step. And so we go through those sections in the big book and we, we just read them. And then we take it a page by page and we, I share you know, my experience, they share their experience. And then we uh, we go to the 12 by 12. So when we're in step one, we go through the first 43 pages of, of the big book. Actually, in, we start with the white book. Uh, in the white book, you know, there are sort of the first part of the white book is about step one, that personal story in there. I mean, that I, that's helped me. When I read it, that helped me decide whether or not I was a sexaholic. That helped me with step one. And so... We just go through the first part of the white book that talks about what it's like to be a sexaholic. And um, I ask them to, 
to read that section, and we take it one page at a time. And I just asked them, anything on that page that, you know, you can relate to? Anything, you know, you have questions about? And they share about that. And then I do the same thing. I look on that page and see if there's anything there that I can share about, and I share about it. Then we go to the next page. And we do the same thing, and we work our way through the white book. And then we do the same thing with the big book, and the first 43 pages of the big book, uh, which are dedicated to step one, you know, starting with the preface. You know, anything on this page that you can share about or relate to? And then we do the same thing in the 12 by 12, in step one. We go through the step one, one page at a time. We read it to see what it says. He, Sponsy shares his experience. I share my experience. My experience has been that at the end of that process, if someone's a sexaholic, um, there's a good chance that they've read enough and learned enough for them really to begin to uh, understand to their innermost selves that they are sexaholic, that they are powerless. And then they write their first step and give it give it in a meeting. And that's kind of the first step um, through what's in the book and me just sharing my experience. And then we do the same thing with the second step. You know, we just follow the instructions. That's the great thing about this program. The instructions for recovery are set down in these three books. And my experience has been that when I have the willingness to go to any link and I follow those instructions, I, I recover. And my experience has been that with the people I've sponsored, when people have a willingness to go to any link and they follow those instructions, they recover from the disease of sexaholism. The people I've sponsored who don't have the willingness and don't do what's suggested don't have as good, uh, you know, an experience. And that's, and it, it, like I say, it has nothing to do with me. Um, so for what it's worth, I thought I, w- I would just share that. Um, when I meet with someone the first time, you know, someone asks me to sponsor them. I don't sponsor everyone that asks me. Um, and like I say, this is just my own personal approach. Someone asks me to sponsor them. I say, yeah, let's sit down and talk about it. I share my story and they share their story. The big book says, if I think this person's a real alcoholic, then I go forward and work in the steps with them. Um, there aren't many people I've met in SA who aren't sexaholics, but there's a chance that someone has some problem that isn't necessarily sexaholism. So before I spend a year going through the steps with them, I want to have some sense that I think that they are sexaholic because for their own good. I mean, if their problem isn't sexaholism, if it's schizophrenia or, you know, some other problem, and I'm trying to help them by working the steps, they might die because what they may need is to be in some other institution, you know, where someone else has a solution. The only solution I have is a solution for sexaholism. So we sit down and we talk. I share my story. They share their story. And after I hear that, I ask myself, do I think they're sexaholic or not? If I think they're sexaholic, then I ask them, do you want to quit for good? They say yes. I say, uh, are you willing to go to any length to quit? They say yes. I ask them, uh, do you think you can do it on your own? They say no to any of those questions. I just tell them I can't help you. Because if they don't want to quit for good, if they've just come into SA to kind of moderate... You know, I can't help them. Um, if they don't have a willingness to go to any link, if they're not at least willing to say those words at this point, then my experience has been that they're 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 not. You know, maybe later, 
But at this point, they're not going to recover. Because if they don't at least have the willingness to say those words uh, in the very beginning, if they aren't that desperate, then they probably aren't going to do what's required to recover. And the other thing is, as much as possible, I try to get my guidance from the big book. And as I was coming up this morning, I was listening to a tape. You can get tapes, you know, that just read the big book. And I was listening to chapter 7, and it says that in chapter 7. It says, if if someone's an alcoholic and, you know, someone else wants you to help them, someone should ask them, do they want to quit for good, and are they willing to go to any extreme? You know, if they haven't reached the point in their life where they are willing to say that, then they're probably not recover, going to recover. And, and, and what's important is it's not like it's going to be a waste of my time. It's like Matt said. My experience has been there's a lot of other people out here that maybe are at a point in their life where they're desperate. They'll go to any length to recover from this disease. If I'm spending a year with some guy who just hasn't reached that point yet, during that year what's going to happen is people are going to start coming up to me and saying, hey, would you sponsor me? Would you sponsor me? And when I get to a certain level, I mean, I like to work at an intense level, but if I take on too many people, then I can't work. I can't work with them, and I give up. I, I avoid my commitments with my family and my, my employer. So at some point, I have to start saying, no, I can't sponsor you. I have too many people. But it, So if I'm working with, with one guy who, who's already told me I don't have the willingness, and I'm hoping, well, maybe if I just hang in there, he'll get that willingness. Maybe I can inspire him to have this willingness. If I'm working with him and trying to push him along, you know, for month after month, meanwhile I'm turning down other guys who say, well, you sponsor me. Maybe the, maybe I'm turning down people who really have a willingness to go to any length, who are desperate enough to really work this program and recover. So my my policy is that when I meet with them that first time, I ask them, are you willing to go to any length to recover? And if they're not at least willing to say that, you know, I just say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And then what I do is I go out and I look for someone else who is willing. That's the other thing. Uh, you know, the big book says we, we think it's a waste of time to chase a man uh, if he's not willing to work with you. It says if you're in that situation, let him go. And these are the words. Search out another alcoholic. Search out. So that's what I do. When I don't have enough people to work for, work with, I search them out. Because <laughs> I know if I'm not working with another sexaholic, this disease is starting to gain on me. You know, I'm not cured. This disease is still down there. And if I'm not actively involved in recovery every day, this disease is going to start to try to come back into my life. So if I get to the point where I'm only working with one guy, two guys, whatever it is, which isn't enough, I go into meetings and I just tell people, if anyone would like to work the steps, I'm happy to talk to you after the meeting. And I find if I do that at two or three meetings, I got plenty of people to work with. But anyway, that you know, I ask people that in the beginning. I want to find out if they're sexaholic, and I want to find out if they have a willingness to go to any length. If there's, they have an op, you know, a chance to recover. And if they don't, you know, I'll just, I'll just tell them, I'm sorry, I can't, you know, can't do much for you at this point. If you ever get to that point where you're willing to go to any length, call me up, you know, and we'll talk about it. And then, if they have that willingness. They're willing to, they say they want to stop for good. They have a willingness to go any length. They don't think they can do it on their own. Then I make some suggestions. And one of them is we get together once a week and we start going through the book, just like I told you. You know, they start reading the instructions and they start learning the tools of recovery. The big book says that what my job as a sponsor is to lay out the kit of spiritual tools. And the kit of spiritual tools is 12 Steps of Sexaholics Anonymous. 
And that's what we're doing when we go through that big book and the 12 by 12 and white book. It's laying out the spiritual tools. Step one is a spiritual tool. Step two is a spiritual tool. Step three is a spiritual tool. That's all I can do. All I can do is lay it out there. Then it's up to the sponsee as to whether he's going to pick it up and whether he's going to use it, you know. And many times I want to grab their hand and force them to pick up that tool, you know. But I can't do that. That's not I can't do it, and it's not my job. And if I think that's my job, I'll go nuts as a sponsor. Because if they don't have the willingness to do it, you know, it's not going to come from me. And sometimes they'll pick them up, and then they put them back down again. And, you know, there's a judgment call as you go through sponsorship. What happens if you meet a guy, and he's desperate? He's got a willingness to go any length, and boy, he's raring to go, and you're meeting with him. But you find out later he's... He loses that willingness for whatever reason. Maybe he gets a little recovery and feels okay, doesn't feel like he needs to do a four-step now. Doesn't feel like he needs to do an eight-step or whatever it is. Um, what do you do then? Well, you know, that's a judgment call for every sponsor. But at some point, if someone loses the willingness to recover, then it's just like they told me they didn't have the willingness in the beginning. I just sit down and talk to them and I just tell them, you know, let me know if you don't have the willingness to go to any length, then, then we need to take a break now. And I need to go out and work with someone else who does have the willingness because it's the same thing. If a guy, you know, I can't show up this week. I got I got baseball practice or, you know, wow, something came up or, I, no, I didn't do the reading or, you know, how are you doing on the fourth step and it's been two months and, you know, well, I just haven't gotten around to it. Well, have you started? No, I haven't even started. You know, at some point, if they've lost the willingness, then again, what I'm doing is I'm just... I'm depriving someone else of the opportunity to recover by, by, you know, hanging in there with this guy. And everybody has their own, you know, line. I'm, pr- I'm pretty, uh, uh, I'm pretty soft on that because I don't want to play God. I, I know that, you know, I'm not running the show, but at some point, if it's pretty clear to me that he's just lost the willingness, I just have to tell him, you know, let me know if you ever become willing to go to any length and you want to go on with the steps, but for now, I have to go out and find someone else to work with. Um, and that's, that's basically the, uh, you know, the, uh, the way I do it. There are other suggestions I make in the very beginning, and it kind of helps me determine if they have the willingness because of the same thing. If someone says I've got the willingness, but they really don't, then, you know, I want to know that in the beginning. So I make three suggestions. Well, actually four. I say, you know, I want you to read the first 164 pages of the big book. And the big book suggests that. You know, if you meet a guy and he's interested, ask him to read the big book. And then, you know, at, when he's done with that, ask him, are you willing to go through the steps? Um, now, if it's been a week or two or a month, he still hasn't read the big book. Well, that's starting to tell me the guy isn't very willing. I mean, if he's desperate to recover, he's going to probably find time to read the book that has the solution. I also ask him to go to a meeting every day, if possible, you know. If they're sexaholics and there's only one meeting a week, I ask them to go to an AA meeting, you know. Uh, one, because it was vital for my recovery to be in a lot of meetings. And I still, I try to go to a meeting every day because I can't recover on one meeting a day. It's part of my recovery program. And in the beginning, if someone's like, well, I can't go to seven meetings, you know, I'm too busy. Well, I just say, I'm, you know, let me know when you get to that point that you're desperate enough to go to a meeting a day, and we'll talk about working the stuff. But if someone isn't that desperate, uh, to at least tell me that in the beginning and then show me that they're willing to do that, then uh, I'm going to go out and try to find someone else who is. 
And then I tell them we're going to get together once a week and work the steps. And I tell them I want you to call me every day. And somewhere in that whole collage of them reading the book, going to a meeting today, calling me, meeting with me, I get some sort of sense of, you know, whether they're willing to go to any length. I mean, if they're only going to four meetings a week, but they're meeting with me every day and they're calling me three times a week, that's a pretty good sign of willingness in my mind. Uh, you know, I'm not real rigid about it. But at some point, I, like I say, I want to see if they really have a chance to recover. And if they're just showing no signs of any willingness, then I need to go out and find someone else to work with. And again, I just want to emphasize, this is only my approach. I don't, uh, I'm not saying that this is the right way to sponsor or the only way to sponsor. It's just the way, the way I do it and what's worked for me. I've seen other people sponsor in many different ways and it's worked in many other different ways. So I'm just here to share my experience and, that, and that's all it is. And with that, I'll, uh, I'll say thanks for letting me share and we're just going to open up the meeting for yeah, questions. Yeah, let's read that. Sure, right here. Yeah. Now we will begin the sharing portion of this meeting. This is a taped meeting, so please use the microphone when you share. If you are uncomfortable being taped, we respectfully ask that you participate by listening only. No. Would anyone like to share their experience on the topic or ask a question? Steve? I just wanted to ask a question, and that is, uh, perhaps both of you could answer, and that is, how do you deal with uh, with chronic slippers? What are the some of the actions that you take to help someone who just doesn't seem to get it? I like chronic slippers, especially leather ones. Anyway, no, <clears throat> no, just kidding. <laughs> New guy who was sober and he said every time he acted out it was in his bedroom, so you guess he was a bedroom slipper. Anyway. <laughs> Just to keep you guys awake in the back there. <clears throat> How do you deal with chronic slippers? Well, I think I may be on the opposite end of Patrick's sponsorship of intensity. I am the, uh, I believe you can work the steps all in a day, uh, variety. Um, I got, uh, I sponsor, I'm honored to sponsor a few guys that are chronic slippers. And I asked my sponsor this very question, what do you do? I don't know. My <laughs> pray, probably the best answer. But uh, then after that, I usually go through the steps again with the guy and ask if he's omitted anything. You know, it talks about that in the first couple pages of Into Action in the big book. Um, it asks if, he, if he's omitted anything from his resentment list, from his fear list, or from his sexual misconduct list, then it doesn't say you might slip again. It guarantees you're going to slip again. And maybe just my experience. I don't know. But So we talk about that. We also talk about the fact that he may just be the type that only put part of the steps into, into, into his life. You know, maybe he's good at the first step or the second or the third step. I sponsor some guys that are really good mechanically at working the inventory. But that's it. They don't want to grow up. Maybe they're just like me. I don't know. But um, I don't know what the grace of God is all about. And I don't know how you get it. 
Um, I know a way that I made myself maybe willing is to work the steps, but the rest of it is really kind of up to God. And uh, I don't believe there's any way that I can make somebody get sober or that I can keep them sober. Because like Patrick said, I'm not God, you know, and I don't fool like I know. Um, you know, if I'm not willing to do something, I will not recommend a guy to go do it. You know, so and I only recommend him to go to the same number of meetings that I'm willing to go to. Because I can't tell him something like that. And, you know, a lot of guys go to a lot of meetings, and I go to a lot of meetings still. So I recommend that as well. But um, I, that's my experience. I'd encourage the sponsor to pray his heart out and ask God to make it clear. And I would suggest to the sponsee, you know, to say that same prayer. God, if you're so freaking smart, make it clear to me what I'm supposed to do. And then it, it will be revealed. And maybe he'll have the honesty to do it when it happens. And, and I sponsor people who, who slip a lot. Um, my my approach is if, if they're showing a willingness to go to any length, if they are going to lots of meetings, if they're meeting to work the steps, if they're working the steps, if they're calling me, you know, if they're taking my suggestions and they're showing that willingness, um, it doesn't really matter to me how much they slip because I know that eventually they will recover. And for those guys, I'll, you know, we'll just, I'll just hang in there with them. Um, one of the nice things about the way I was taken through the steps is that you spend you end up spending a lot of time on the first step. Um, and and I'm finding that I'm also an alcoholic, and um, I, I believe the disease of sexaholism is even more cunning, baffling, and powerful than alcoholism. And um, I believe in the very beginning when people first come into SA, they just don't understand how cunning this disease is and how um, easy it is to come in and really have a willingness to recover but continue to slip because this disease is so cunning and sneaky. And um, and when we're going through the first step, I mean, 43 pages in the big book and 60 pages in the white book, it, it takes two or three months to get through the first step. And usually when they call me and tell me I slip, I say, good. You know, when we're in the first step, I say, good. You know, you're just, I mean, now you just know a little better how powerless you are because now you're really trying and you're still slipping. You know, and if we're taking two or three months to go through the first step, I can just keep saying that, you know, because every time they slip, they're learning a little bit more. You know, one sponsee of mine, we were, he was doing great, and then he went on vacation. It was 10 days vacation. No SA meetings, you know. He called Central, found out there were SA meetings, and I said, well, find out if there's some AA meetings. You know, go to some AA meetings. Um, and, uh, you know, call me every day and do everything you were doing before. Well, he got on vacation, you know, no stress, and didn't get around to going to any meetings, and he got back, and... I mean, it's a classic scenario. I've seen it happen all the time. He got back, and two days later, he slipped. <laughs> well, he learned something from that. You know, he learned that you, he couldn't stop his recovery just because he seemed to be in sort of an idyllic scene, and that was good. 
And it's good for him to learn that. Next time he goes on vacation, he's more likely to, you know, get in a few meetings, whether SA meetings, AA meetings, whatever. Um, and I'm just, I see that as we go through the first step, they just, they start to realize, wow, this is amazing. I mean, I just, it doesn't take much to trigger me. And if I don't call you right away, I'm, I'm, I'm at that point of no return. I say, yeah, <laughs> you're beginning to understand this disease. You know, it's, uh, I, I can't, if I try, if my strategy is to fight this disease, I, I'm going to lose. You know, my only hope especially in the beginning when I'm triggered, is to pick up that phone, get to a meeting, you know, maybe pray and meditate, although when I was on step one, I didn't have enough conscious contact with a higher power to do anything with prayer and meditation. I mean, I, I couldn't, there was, not, I, there was too much self-will between me and that higher power. My only hope was picking up the phone. And so when we go through the first step and they're slipping, I mean, they start to learn, yeah, you're right. <laughs> when I call you, I stay sober. When I try to do it on my own, I slip. And so, it's, you know, and, and my experience generally is that, again, if they have that willingness and we're going through the first step, by the time we get done with the first step, they, they know a little better. Uh, if they continue to slip, but they maintain that willingness, um, like I, like Matt was saying, I try to remember that I'm not running the show, I'm not God, you know, and I try not to, um, be too judgmental and so as long as they're continuing to work the program with with a lot of willingness i just hang in there with them and and, and hope that um, they will you know they will eventually find uh, find some sobriety um, on the other hand if they're slipping a lot but you know they aren't showing up to work the steps they aren't going to many meetings uh you know they're I can just see that they really are not desperate to recover. Then I just I just have a talk with them, and just like the big book says, you know, it's a waste of time to chase someone if they won't work with you, and and I let them go, and uh, and 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 I believe that's you know maybe that's the best thing that can happen to them because maybe they'll go back out there and they'll get beat up, and maybe when they come back they'll be ready to recover, so um, or at least you know I'm. Uh, it's more likely I'm going to be working with someone else who's desperate enough to recover and uh, and can recover. So those are my, that's my experience. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Aaron. That's my sponsor. And uh, he's a good sponsor. He's right. And I came here late and I missed him speaking. And uh, I was late for selfish reasons. And I wanted to express my regret and say that I was wrong and ask Matt if there's anything I can do to straighten out the path. Yeah, just carry the message to the next drunk. You'll be just fine. All right. Thanks. Hi, my name is Sam and I'm a sexaholic. I really appreciate being here today. Um, I've uh, known of SA for almost five years, and I'm just learning now. <laughs> I'm also uh, been a chronic slipper for many years, and uh, I guess uh, the first 
three years, I wasn't able to get the meetings. I just had the white book, and I thought, well, there's the program. I should be able to work it. And, uh, well, that didn't work. And then I moved to where there were meetings, and I thought, well, coming to meetings, that should do it. And, and that didn't do it either. But, uh, I mean, we've heard of the uh, 2,000-pound phone, and, and that was one of my problems. But uh, my other problem was that um, I had, A, a tough time um, deciding on a sponsor, and then really a tough time um, asking him. It's just like the 2,000-pound phone. And I uh, finally, actually, by email, asked... Uh, uh, one member to be my sponsor about three weeks ago. And uh, the reason I shared this is um, about two weeks later, someone asked me to help them through the steps. And I felt like a baby, you know. <laughs> and so that's why I'm here. But uh, um, I, I, I just want to say how grateful I feel at this point for the person that asked that I asked to be my sponsor who... Um, I mean, I officially asked him three weeks ago. I sort of looked to him as a sponsor for quite a while. And uh, even under that scenario, he he was always encouraging when I slipped. He never condemned me. He never talked down to me. He uh, the way of just, well, progress, not perfection. And the way he explained that to me is what turned things around for me in my sobriety. I didn't beat myself up for the things of my head and this and that and ever that brought me down and spiraled me down. And he encouraged me to to just zero in on what's better and where I'm I'm, I'm progressing. And and, and uh, that's where I am now. Now, um. I feel like a fish out of water with this new person who's looking up to me, and uh, I just hope to, I guess, uh, uh, share what I've learned from my experience. But thanks for listening. Thanks, Lana. And I guess the question I want to put to both of you is, uh, I've worked with people in the past that did not see the value in uh, giving their sobriety date during a meeting. They didn't want to share that, and uh, they could give a number of reasons why they didn't want to do that. And I'm just wondering uh, if you could uh, both uh, expand on whether you think that's important and uh, and what the reasons are for that. Because I personally see a whole lot of benefit to sharing that and it's got nothing to do with ego you know it encourages newcomers that it can be done and you know there's, there's so many reasons to me but uh, when confronted with it uh, and confronted with a newcomer who just doesn't want to do it I found myself not having the tools to encourage them to uh, to knock their ego down and share about this so I wonder if I could uh, ask either or both of you to talk about that thanks I'm Patrick. I'm a sexaholic. <clears throat> you know, I my I recovered from alcoholism before I recovered from sexaholism. So when I came into SA, there, you know, I noticed some differences in SA and in AA and a AA meeting. When people share, they just say I'm 
Patrick, I'm an alcoholic, and we don't mention our sobriety date. And so when I came into essay, there was part of me that wanted to say, well, essay's doing it the wrong way because, you know, you, I, everyone can think of reasons why it's, it's uh, not productive for people to use their sobriety date. And, of course, there are people in essay that have all these other good reasons. And where I came at on that was that um, the reason I was in SA was because I couldn't recover from sexaholism, you know, given uh, not to say anything about AA, but I just was, I couldn't recover. That's why I was in SA. And uh, and I wasn't going to come into SA and start telling them <laughs> that they were doing something wrong because I was the one who had the problem. And so even though it, it was different um, and my head could think of reasons why maybe, at least I thought it, you didn't need to do it. I just told myself, I was, you know, I was like a newcomer. I was a newcomer, and I just said, I'm going to do it. I mean, they seem to be staying sober, and this is their program, and this is the way they do it. So I'm, I'm going to do whatever they're doing. Um, if, and I think was the question, you know, is this a sponsee you're talking about that, that won't do this? Yeah. Um, I haven't had that experience as a sponsor. Um, and so I can't really comment on, on, um, you know, any experience I've had with that. But, um, I think if one of my sponsees chose to do that, but as I said, was willing to um, take my other suggestions, I think I, I think I would let it go. I don't, and that's I guess that's based on my own experience. I don't think my recovery in SA really is that dependent on me telling people what my sobriety date is at an SA meeting. I do it because that seems to be the tradition. Um, I, but I don't know that it, that it's all that important in my sobriety. So if someone else, a sponsee, wasn't doing that, uh, I would probably, you know, just let it go and just continue to to work the steps with them. Yeah, I'm Matt. I'm a psychologist. Lack of experience never um, stopped me from giving an opinion. But anyway, because because uh, I'm just like yeah, I haven't. I've had an experience with the motives. Up in Northern California, we don't give our sobriety days at my home group. We ask if there's anybody new or with anybody with less than 30 days of sobriety. Because those guys are the most important guys in the room, we feel. That's it. You don't go around the room, say our length of sobriety. So I could never stop anybody from doing it. But um, to me, it's about motives. You know, it's page 70. Um, you know, I want to be one of me, among many. You know, for the first time in my life, I want to be a part of. Because I know, just like Patrick said, these guys are sober. So whatever they're doing, I'll have some of that. And uh, they don't want to. I'd ask, well, is it going to get you drunk? If it's not going to get you drunk, I'm not going to worry about it. But if it does, maybe it's just rebellion. I don't know, you know, Heck, these are adults. <laughs> they can do whatever they want. You know, but if they get drunk, then it's a whole nother story. You know, just like 
you know, I'm willing to let somebody sponsor somebody just as soon as they've done their inventory, you know, or date, even after they've done their fourth step. I don't care. You know, go for it, by all means. So, huh? you know, there's as much freedom or whatever. And if they stay sober, who am I to say? I just want to make another comment, and again, this is just my own experience. <clears throat> Although, the 12 by 12 does talk about this a little bit. It, it says that, um, this is this, this question of, you know, how much advice do I give beyond my experience uh, with the steps? Um, you know, what if they're having trouble at work? Um, you, know, you know, whether they should keep the job or leave the job or, you know, family relationship problems or... Because most people, I mean, I know when I came in, I had this constellation of problems. It just wasn't sex all, you know, it was financial, job, family. I mean, everything was, was coming down. And <clears throat> I'm, I'm happy that, um, that, that, you know, that's not my responsibility. It's not my responsibility to be a job counselor, a family counselor. Uh, my only responsibility as a sponsor, as I see it from reading the big book, is, as I said, to lay out the the kid of spiritual tools, these, these 12, these 12 steps. And the 12 by 12 talks about this a little bit. It, you know, it says, you know, one of the pitfalls of being a sponsor is if, is if you start working with people and everybody's staying sober, you, you might begin to, or I, I might begin to feel that, wow, I just must be the greatest sponsor in the world. And so since I'm such a great essay sponsor, maybe I can help them with all these other problems they have. Of course, the problem is that I don't have any, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a job counselor, I'm, I don't have, uh, about the only thing I really do know anything about is is the 12 steps, and all I know is what's in the book and my own experience. That's about the only thing I know, and so um, when people bring up all these other problems as they do, I like to let them talk about it, because I think a lot of us just need someone to talk to, but then when they're done talking about it, I just say, well, now where were we? Were you reading or was I reading? You know, what page were we on in the big book? Uh, and I try to tell them, you know, let's look at this step that we're working on and, 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 and maybe something we learn from the step will really help you with this problem that you've got. Because the other problem is I can end up, if we're going to get together for two hours and they come to the meeting with this big problem, we can end up spending two hours talking about how to work with a boss or, you know, or how to deal with their daughter and get totally distracted from the step. And my experience has been if that is that if we will, to the best of our ability, focus on the step and working the step, as they go through those steps, as they change and find a higher power, all of these other problems in their life are just going to start to get resolved, all of a sudden that boss isn't going to be such a problem to work with. And all these other problems are just going to start to resolve themselves as they have a spiritual awakening. But if we get distracted in the beginning with trying to solve all these other problems other than the sexaholism, then then the problems are probably going to stay there. <laughs> 
because my experience that's my that's and that's the beautiful thing about the program and the beautiful thing about being a sponsor that I can just first of all I can be compassionate I can say yeah you know tell me about what's going on so at least they get that off their head so we can focus on the step but once they're done dumping you know instead of getting drawn into that and just you know gently suggest okay well what page were we on were you reading or was I reading or you know step one or was it step three or you know Go back to the step and start going through that process again, reading and sharing and reading and sharing. And what's beautiful is to see that change when you focus on the steps and week after week they're reading the steps and they're going to meetings and they're starting to practice this program and just to see this change in them, just like it says in the big book. You know, the, the joy, the great joy of doing 12-step work is to see people's eyes open and to see their marriages get better and their jobs get better and their whole lives get better just from focusing on these 12 steps and working in these 12 steps as a way of life. So that's all I've got. Thanks. I'm Harvey, a sexaholic. And um, I'm from Phoenix. And in Phoenix, uh, the other S program, SAA, seems to be the big program there, and uh, you know, I've gone to SAA and SA for 10 years, and I found SA, I, I, I like the strict guidelines that SA uh, supports, and that has helped friends of mine and myself maintain sobriety when we could not get sober before. Uh, unfortunately, the sponsorship, we had we have two old-timers in Phoenix, and one of them who sponsored everyone, passed away last year. He was a wonderful gentleman. Um, I think he had 12 or 13 years, old Joe, um, and uh, which has left us with one gentleman who I, I, I hear does not get involved in sponsorship, and uh, I feel at a real loss, as well as some of my other friends do also. And uh, I'm currently working with a sponsor in CA who's a big book thumper and sponsors me like a like you would sponsor, and I appreciate that. That's how I sponsor also. And uh, I, I just wonder what your experience is. Is there the possibility or is there a format for long-distance sponsorship so we can get some, so I can get some real good input from some old-timers in SA? Is there a, uh Internet meeting? Uh, or Are there uh, uh, lists of people that are willing to sponsor long-distance? You know, I feel we really need an infusion of uh, SA, SA sobriety in Phoenix, and uh, you know, I'm curious about that. And I, I know working the other programs, I'm in other fellowships. I have a sponsor in Al-Anon and one in CA, and you know, I've worked the steps, as the big book says, and I have done the sexual inventories, and I, you know, I just don't know if it would be helpful for me to have someone also to go through the white book with. You know, and uh, that's my question. Thanks. You know, I, I don't know how long you've been around, Patrick. How long have you been around? Uh, well, not too long ago, even when we went out to Phoenix, there were guys that, I sponsored guys all over the nation. I don't know. There's nothing, nothing brilliant about it. The one thing that's nice to have a sponsor local is you get to actually watch what he does. You, you know, you actually get to see if he's 
like if he's truthing you or lying to you when he tells you to go do something. Because a lot of times, the best example that I have of sponsorship is watching my sponsor sponsor somebody else. Then I know that when he talks to me on the phone and he says, yeah, you have to return that money, you know. But I know he would do the same thing because I've seen him do it. Or I've seen him go get a new guy and I've watched him talk to the new guy and like show him how to do the first three steps right there after the meeting. But out of town, you can't see that necessarily. Maybe that's one of the beauties of international conventions, conferences every six months. But um, my sponsor is not an SA. And I haven't had a sponsor in SA for five years. And um, maybe no less than that, three years. And I went to AA to find my sponsor. I got sober in that other program after I got sober in SA. So, um, but that's just my experience. There are several um, founders of the program that don't have a sponsor. So they talk to other people. I think the point is, is to talk to other people. And share share with somebody. Sponsorship is the best, but you look at the big book, I mean, where were they going to go? They didn't have local sponsors. So they went to, and they wrote letters, talked on the phone, Bill and Dr. Bob, you know. It wasn't exactly internet back then, I don't believe. So they helped each other out, but that that's what I would encourage, is, is to find somebody you can talk to, even if you have to have an out-of-town sponsor. You get a chance to talk to them, maybe see them at international conventions. That's what I do with the guys I work with. Have you taken the twelve steps? Okay, and and in an essay. I'm not, just, I'm not sure I understood your question. Mm-hmm. So, so what I'm hearing you saying is you you've taken these twelve steps, and that's allowed you to have some recovery from your sexaholism. Okay, but but there's uh, maybe it would be nice to have somebody who. Someone, another sponsor that you could call and just talk to to get some guidance about sponsoring, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about sponsorship is that it's like anything else. You know, uh, you get a job and the first day you don't know how to work the cash register and six months later you can work a cash register with your eyes closed. The the way to learn how to sponsor is to get out there and start sponsoring people. And, uh, you know, I did things in the beginning as a sponsor that I would never do today. Uh, you know, I made all kinds of mistakes. I mean, they were just mistakes. I remember in particular uh, one, I was sponsoring this guy and we, We'd gotten through the first three steps and it took about six months to do it because he had a lot to share. And uh, we got to step four and he said, I'm not going to do it. He said, you know, I, in my religion, you you don't talk about the past. You forget the past and go forward. Well, 
What does the big book say? The big book says if someone has a, another path they want to follow, you know, encourage them to follow that and, and tell them that, you know, let's keep, let's stay friends, but if you don't want to work the steps or you don't want to go any further, that's fine, you know, let's stay in touch. Did I do that? No. I blew up, you know. I told him he was going to, he was going to lose his sobriety if he didn't do his four step. You know, I yelled at him, you know, thinking that I could pound it into him. Big mistake. <laughs> it made no, it had, first of all, it had no effect on him whatsoever, you know. And that's never going to have an effect, my experiences on an addict. You know, they're going to do whatever they want, especially if you tell them what to do. You know, then they're going to not do it just to spite you. So that was a huge mistake on my part. And I called my sponsor and I said, hey, this happened. I don't feel like I did it right or what should I have done? And he said, well, remember that paragraph in the big book? You know, he just directed me right back to the big book. So I make mistakes all the time as a sponsor. And the way I improve, if you will, is by sponsoring people and continuing to read that chapter 7. And, you know, I'm going to read some of these other chapters that Matt's talked about because I haven't thought about reading them. So I guess my what I encourage you to do is is continue to work with people, continue to read the big book. Um, you'll get better and better and understand that, you know, this power greater than ourself is what really is, is going on there. I'm just... I'm just a, uh, a conduit for this higher power. When I'm sitting across the table with this other sponsee, what's really the power that's really involved there in keeping him sober and helping him to recover is this power greater than me. It's not me. And, uh, and you know, I'm happy to give you my phone number. You can call me anytime. I mean, I still do that with my sponsor. I get into a situation with a sponsee, and I've never experienced it before. I don't know what to do. I pick up the phone. I call my sponsor. You know, what do I do? He doesn't know. He refers me to someone else who's had the same experience. So um, I think if you continue to work with people uh, and, and you know, feel free to call me uh, if you ever have a question, you'll, you'll be fine. Just the last paragraph. Well, the paragraph we don't ever read before a vision for you says, Still you may say, but I will not have the benefit of contact with you who write this book. We cannot be sure. God will determine that. So you must remember that your real reliance is always upon Him. He will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. So I, I went to Oakland three years ago, and I didn't like anything I found. So no offense to anybody who was in Oakland three years ago. But I, I started two two other meetings um, just because I wanted something that I didn't see. And I just took that last chapter, A Vision for You, and did what it said. And I love my home group. And if there's a Wednesday night, you know, the guys in, some of the guys in this room know where I'll be. You know, I wouldn't miss it for the world. And, you know, it's a priority in my life. It's flying blind. <laughs> they did it 60 years ago, 65 years ago. We're just, you know, 65 years later. And years down the road, you'll see that, wow, what, an, what a wild experience. I remember when your first sponsor was there and he was at the conference in Phoenix. It was an exciting period because we didn't know what was going to happen to Phoenix SA. And after he died, or right before, when he was even sicker, it was really sad. And we didn't know what will happen. But I committed to one guy to stick to the same meeting when I, this guy that I've been sponsoring for about eight years. I sticked with, with him. I said, look, we'll both go to the same meeting every week and won't leave as long as we're in the same town. Well, he still goes to that meeting and I just happened to move 
and start another meeting that I would go to for the rest of my life. You know, and somehow it works out. A couple of guys have found some help and maybe a very happy life. But still, hey, no one pays us, right? We all don't know what the hell we're doing. Everybody thinks we do, so... Francis, recovering sexaholic. Uh, and I appreciate having you two up here. Sort of the it gives me a balance because I I tweedly get caught up in uh, sort of one way and that's it, and don't often see uh, that there are the, those other ways of going. And um, I think one thing I've struggled with in in my uh, group in Regina uh, is in my own approach, uh, the perfection sometimes takes place over uh, progress, and i got to switch those around again, but also trying to help the, the newcomer or the, the others that are in there and the slippers and the ones that really struggling this thing, to help them uh, appreciate that as well, too. That they get a sense sometimes, and we had one fellow that came in and took a couple weeks, and then he, he, he got a sobriety, and he was at the meetings, and then got his uh, month in and he, and he was into chairing meetings and good service work and he's always there, always there, there. And he actually did make his one year but he slipped about three days later. And he's hard, he, like that was sort of it, you know, I don't know how to overcome this sense and you've got, some seem to think you sort of one stab at this program and then that's it. Or then they take long vacations and then he'll come back again and give it a try. And I don't know how to, well I've heard a bit about the, uh, the slipper coming in and not affirming they're slipping, <laughs> not not encouraging that at all, but uh, affirming them and and uh, encouraging them to to keep coming without saying, "Well, just keep doing what you're doing," because you don't want that to happen either. But I find that a real hard balance. But the one thing I, when I look at myself, uh, where am I doing it? The struggle that I have with these. Uh, sometimes you just want to say, "Why don't you just?" You know, quit coming to this meeting and saying you haven't got any sobriety, but don't say that. And then I look over the years. Uh, I've been in the program since uh, 89. And I can recall so many people, I say, and even even if they're only there three months, whatever it was, the time that I had to work with them was still time for me, too. And so I get that benefit of it. I wish them well wherever they are, and if they ever come back, certainly welcome them back. But overall, it, it, that's a uh, part that comes out for me too. Then, in working with them, that it does it does something for me too, even if they have to or decide to choose that other way. So, we'll close the meeting. I wanted to read this last thing about slipping. It's in the big book. If anybody's seen it, a lot of a lot of pages about slipping in the big book and none in the white book. I've always found that interesting. Uh, page one twenty. It says, perhaps your husband will make a fair start on the new basis, but just as things are going beautifully, he dismays you by coming home drunk. If you are satisfied he really wants to get over drinking, you need not be alarmed, though it is infinitely better that he have no relapse at all, as has been true with many of our men. It is by no means a bad thing in some cases. Your husband will see at once that he must redouble his spiritual activities if he expects to survive. You need not remind him of his spiritual deficiency. He will know of it. Cheer him up and ask him how you can be still more helpful. 
The slightest sign of fear or intolerance may lessen your husband's chance of recovery. In a weak moment, he may take your dislike of his high-stepping friends as one of those insanely trivial excuses to drink. We never, never try to arrange a man's life so as to shield him from temptation. The slightest disposition on your part to guide his appointments or his affairs so he will not be tempted will be noticed. Make him feel absolutely free to come and go as he likes. This is important. If he gets drunk, drunk, don't blame yourself. God has either removed your husband's liquor problem or he has not. If not, it had better be found out right away. Then you and your husband can get right down to fundamentals. If a repetition is to be prevented, place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. Okay, uh, I'm Patrick. I'm a sexaholic. And that's all the time we have for sharing. Anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. This is an anonymous program, so please keep the name and, and number of anyone you meet or learn about an SA or SNON to yourself. What we say here, let it stay here. After a moment of silent meditation, will you join me in closing with the serenity prayer? I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.